Wilder, hello there. Update on the cold. What are we on now? Uh, we're we're on uh, antibiotics and steroids. Oh, <laughs> we great. gave in. <laughs> oh, great! You should be wild this week, then. Absolutely. Oh yes, we'll be such a riot. <laughs> We were going to review Ted Lasso and physical, but we've got so much to go over because we could have continued Black Widow all the way through this week with the number of stuff that came in. But a couple things. The first one's really to you. This is mostly to Wilder. I think she was brilliant in the podcast this week, but a couple questions. Natasha Romanoff, Scarlett Johansson, plays arguably one of the most badass superheroes in the Avenger team, sans superpowers. So let's take a moment from a more feminist perspective and talk about what a freaking role model she is for young women. She overcomes years of abuse and trauma to use her training for what she believes to be right, a role in which many women are not given in the super hero world. So despite the violence and the horrible backstory she has, she becomes this amazing and powerful woman that quickly becomes my favorite character in the Marvel universe. This is a woman who's headed into law school who actually used to work for Blue Shoe and is an avid listener to uh, Screen Thoughts. What do you say to that? We didn't talk about that aspect. Well, we kind of (laughs) did. We had a lot of ground to catch up on last time. So I did mention that she's kind of the only, aside from Jeremy Renner, she's the only Avenger without superpowers. You talked about that, but I guess what I didn't sort of equate it to that seems to be maybe the even younger generation than yours, if that's possible, actually thinks that what a role model. I hadn't thought about her as a role model before, but I, I get it. I get it. Well, Black Widow is an interesting character because she um, she has a really interesting arc over the course of all of the Marvel movies. There's there's a Marvel movie where, spoiler alert, if you guys haven't seen this, but they're, they've been out for a long time, you realize that the people in charge, S.H.I.E.L.D., the agency that they all work for, aren't really in charge. They've been infiltrated by an external organization called HYDRA, which if you go back and watch Captain America, that's where they're introduced. They are kind of what's behind the Nazi power in the first Captain America. And they've been infiltrating America ever since World War II. And Scarlett Johansson is a spy. That's who she is. It's what she plays. And so she's always got a separate mission from whatever mission Cap is sent on to. But it's never her movie. So you're never with her. And he catches her breaking his rules, but she's doing her job for S.H.I.E.L.D. And there's a great moment at the end of Winter Soldier where she looks to Cap and she says, I thought I knew whose secrets I was keeping. And it's part of why she got out of the Red Room. It's part of why she defected from Russia is because she didn't feel allegiance to them anymore. They weren't doing the right thing. And so this is a character who thought she'd gone straight and was yet again betrayed. And so she doesn't trust anyone. But I think that the fact that she is able to find trust in her Avenger family and then in Black Widow through her made up family, her Russian family is really beautiful. She's got got a lot of depth that they don't, they don't really explore all the way through in the, she doesn't really get her due in the Marvel universe. They could really have made a lot more of her character and they use her sparingly, but they do use her well. Okay. And Sam also said, she sent a number of points, but we're going to go over one more and I'm going to address it before I start reading what she wrote uh, next. If you have not seen it and you don't want any spoilers, just forward, fast forward about 60 seconds and you'll be fine. 
Sam says, I left the theater wishing I was a trained assassin and in love with both Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh. With Johansson's character dead in the current Marvel timeline, I am more than excited to have Pugh take over. I really don't think they could have written a better, more exciting character to take over this new role. I just want to, you know, everyone knows who listens to our podcast that Silence of the Lambs is my very favorite movie of all time. And I think it's the strongest feminist character written in the 90s. And it's funny that she says she wishes she was a trained assassin because I think for sure if I had it to do over again, I would have been an FBI agent, uh, a.k.a. Clarice. And I actually have stationery that says Clarice on it that was given to me by my friends Larry and Randy. So I understand that. When somebody really does nail a character where you all of a sudden see a mirror of yourself and a window into that which you aspire to be, that's a movie that's well done. So I think we can sort of walk away from that. But the second thing is we got a text from Craig. And here's what Craig has to say. Just listen to your Black Widow podcast. Anyway, regarding the Marvel stuff, go watch Captain America. Try to have an open heart. Not always easy for me to do, I might add. Go back to World War II and believe in truth, justice, and the American way, which is actually a Superman lead-in, but applies to Captain America. While there are hokey scenes in the movie, the director was aware and intentionally inserted them. The story is about a 98-pound weakling that desperately wants to serve his country, and at heart, he remains that guy. This will require you to become your 12-year-old self for a couple of hours, but at the heart of the Captain America saga, it's a love story. I think I heard you say you saw Endgame. If so, watching that without ever having seen Captain America is a shame, as you wouldn't have understood so many of the references or why so many of us were in tears at the end. Grab some popcorn and let me know if you were moved. Thanks, Craig. What a, you know, we will definitely be doing that. So thanks for writing in. Uh, this movie is getting a lot of hype from everybody who sees it has an opinion, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I it's funny because you asked last week who these movies are for, and my question is, who are these movies not for? Well, I got to say, the diversity of the people who wrote in this past week about that, you were absolutely on target. But I also acknowledged in, in the description of the last podcast that we put up, I acknowledged that you changed my mind about it, so I'm all in. But if you haven't hey, seen it, it, yeah, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go see it. But if you haven't seen it, Take some advice from your Marvel-loving friends of what you should see before you go into yeah, this movie. Yeah. Because having a background on this character is important walking into this movie. Gotcha. Okay, second, I wanted to just announce that I'll be leading a panel at the Woods Hole Film Festival on August 4th around marketing your film. As many of you know, I own a marketing company, and we've done a number of films that have been... Uh, up for Oscars, and we've done the marketing for them. My most favorite was India's Daughter, which was four years ago. And so the panel, if you're into film or whatever, the panel is going to be, you've done the hard work making your film, but that's just the beginning. Next is the hard part. Yes, we are talking about marketing. Alicia Orsini, president of Women in Film and Video New England, will be joined by Christine Mercer and Beth Levinson and Thedo Mwaso for a timely panel on marketing your film and making sure it's seen. Now, interestingly enough, Beth Levison just finished a film called Storm Late, which is so interesting, and it's already getting a tremendous amount of hype. It's about a small family-owned publishing company in Iowa that published the town weekly newspaper, 
and how they're struggling to survive. It's really beautifully done and really speaks to journalism in America today. And then the other person who is going to be on is Theto, and she just finished the Memoirs of a Black Girl, and mm. it's so powerful. And so for sure, we will be looking at both those films at some point. They've both been accepted to a number of festivals, but uh, you can't watch them publicly yet, but we definitely will be doing short reviews on them. And what's so interesting to me is so many women are doing so many films that are so relevant to this moment in time in terms of what we're living in. It's very exciting, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I'm not familiar with these films or these filmmakers, but I'm excited to see what they've done. Yeah. Okay, which is the perfect lead-in for Ted Lasso because, all right, let's see. Let me just lay it out for you all. Okay, there's a really nice guy who somehow <laughs> surrounds himself with others who are not only not nice, but they just are horrendous human beings, and he keeps ignoring the obvious. As wife leaves him, the woman who hired him was set out to really ruin a reputation for the... had no interest in, in him having a winning ticket. And as it all unfolds, he's like unbending in his optimism and his positivity and his happiness and his approach to life that's oblivious to what's happening around him. So why is this such a huge hit, Wilder? Wow, we had very different Oh, here we go, here we go, here she goes. Go ahead, hit it. <laughs> um, let me just give you the one line that's online for this show rather than my, my esteemed colleagues read of this show. The, the one line that's online is, idealistic and clueless all-American football coach Ted Lasso is hired to manage an English football club despite having no soccer coaching experience. That's the one line that's online. It's not about how oblivious he is. It's a little bit about how he's clueless. Oh my God, he's totally oblivious. It, it, all right, this woman hired him because she wanted to ruin the team that he was man, he was going to be coaching. And when he finds that out and she actually tells him, he says, oh, okay, that's all right. Excuse me? No. Where's oh, your backbone? Chris. No. Yes. Chris, this is... This is a fundamental difference in how we view the world, I think. Oh, here we go. Here this we is, go. You don't think this is a beautiful show? Okay, here's what I think. I think that because things are so awful in the world at this moment in time, because COVID is so painful, because politics is so divisive and so painful, that you just watch it because it's such a relief to not have to deal with the pain for a half an hour. But they don't avoid the pain. Four episodes in, his estranged wife comes to visit. Well, not only that. a very painful episode. Yeah, you're right. There's a few moments of pain, but he's just so forgiving. There's no bitterness. There's no hostility. There's no, you know, he doesn't get mad. Yes, he does. Well, not that Yes, mad. he does. And I think he's going to win an Emmy for it. Well, he's up for an Emmy, and I get it, but I also think that if this show, and it's interesting, I'm going to go into something, if this show had come out at a different time, I'm not sure it would be a hit. Well, this is actually the kind of, it's interesting that they did the morning show first, but this is kind of Apple's whole push right now, is their brand is, quote unquote, surprise and delight. And if you've watched any of the other Apple shows, if you've watched Mythic Quest or you've watched, there's a show on called right now called Schmigadoon. And if you are a fan of musicals, you should go watch that because it is just absolutely delightful. If you're not, don't watch it because you'll hate it. But I watched this show and 
you know, I don't know about everybody else out there, but during the pandemic, all I wanted to watch was comfort television, right? I wanted to watch the West Wing because that's comfort TV to me. I wanted to watch the We Office. finally agree on something. Yes. I wanted to watch The Office. I wanted to watch Parks and Rec. I wanted to watch comedies that were heartfelt and made me believe in the good in people again. And that is exactly what this show is. This show will take the most naysaying person and allow them to see a glimpse of possibility in the good in people. And that's what Ted does. Ted takes every situation that's negative around him and I agree. He should have seen the fact that he was hired for this job. Hello. That <laughs> she wasn't looking out for the team when she hired him. No. But his reputation is in being a coach, is in being able to connect to people and solve those problems amongst the team. And he does that in this season. He really takes them from being a completely disconnected unit to being able to connect with each other. He gets the captain of the team who's an older, he's my favorite character personally. He's an older begrudging, like very like grunty kind of character. He gets him to take responsibility. He gets him to look out for the other characters on the team. He gets him to take like the young upstart and put him in line so that the other members of the teams have a good influence in front of them. And he takes the owner of the team who starts out as you know, a, a woman scorned and a shrew and has her see the good that is surrounding her and what opportunity she has to step up rather than just destroying her ex-husband's football club, which is the only thing that he loves so she can get her revenge. He lets I, her see her own opportunity there. All of those things are true, but that's like saying, I'm going to rework McConnell. You know, like, what? Uh, no, I mean, you know, some people are presented so poorly that it's hard to think about fixing them or whatever. But all of that I'll give you. But here's what's interesting. There's a little bit of backstory that here. Do you know Miles Surrey, who uh, he writes for The Ringer? Have you ever read his stuff mm -hmm. before? I haven't really either, but I'm going to read. It's two paragraphs, but it's worth it because he gives backstory about how this character was developed. Remember those Geico caveman commercials? Do you remember mm -hmm. them, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, okay. As far as insurance ad campaigns go, the Geico caveman weren't the most insufferable spots in the world. They were occasionally kind of funny and certainly more tolerable than ads for the general who needs a long overdue retirement. Still, I doubt that most people, again, I'm quoting him, even someone who thought these 30-second spots were the funniest damn thing in the world would argue that the idea of Neanderthals living amongst us and working office jobs is ripe sitcom material. But that's what really happened in 2007 when ABC unveiled Cavemen during a bit from a series of insurance commercials into a full-fledged sitcom. Unsurprisingly, Caveman was a disaster. Not only was the show critically panned and canceled after one season, but only six of the 13 episodes even made it to air. Perhaps the most shocking part of Caveman in retrospect is that Nick Kroll was one of the primitive leads. He acknowledges it was universally reviled. If there's a moral to the Caveman fiasco, it's a rather simple one. Good commercials don't necessarily make for good TV shows unless you're Ted Lasso. And that's basically where the premise for this whole thing came up was from that ad campaign. This show came from Caveman, which was put out in 2007, which 
came from the ads. Yes, that's wait. I don't understand the connection. Well, basically, what they're saying is the idea for this particular type of person who sort of doesn't belong. You know, where's Waldo? Like, doesn't belong with this group of people. It's What's a fish wrong? Out of water story. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they're saying. The impetus for it was based on caveman, which works now, but didn't work back then. I'm sorry. I, I still don't understand how they're connected. What he's saying is that the people who put the show together did it based on the caveman premise, which is what they're saying now. So Are they the same people? Uh, no, but they were inspired by caveman. Where, again, bringing that particular type of well, he calls it Neanderthal into the 21st century. I mean, Ted Lasso, the fact that he's as stupid as he sometimes is. He's not stupid, though. I don't understand your your reading of this. I don't think he's stupid at all. Well, his lack of knowledge when it comes to, you know, he's coming to coach a soccer team, and he has zero knowledge of the rules. Sure, but I played soccer for years, and I still couldn't tell you the rules of offsides. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Knowing you as I do, if you were hired to go and coach that team, you would have looked at it a little more carefully before you went to your first press conference. But he does. He has looked at the rules. He has done some homework. But he also, didn't he didn't know that you can't go into overtime. That that you can you can end a uh, a, a game a game in a tie. Yeah, you know, no, 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 come on. I mean, you can give him as many breaks as you want. You can find him lovely, entertaining, filled with joy, glass half full, all of that I get. But he definitely can also be described as somebody who is clueless putting in, and who has accepted a position. He decides to take the job to give his wife a little, a little distance so that she can work out their marriage. And so he moves 3,000 miles away and he expects that's going to help the marriage. I mean, come on. He doesn't. He doesn't expect that. He's trying to give his wife what she's asking for, and which is space. You know, go down the go down the road to Holiday Inn for a week, but you don't move to England. I I actually thought it was really brave. <laughs> okay. I, I really no, did. I get. Okay, you're right. I mean, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But I think what he's trying to do is to point out that if this had come out in 2007, it might not have the appeal that it has today. I think his whole the whole point that Miles is trying to get across is this is a moment in time when we need this. We need yeah, someone Yeah, but I, like I think that's true of most shows, though. I think if Hillary had won in 2016, Handmaid's Tale doesn't make it past the first season. Really? Interesting. Yeah. By the way, it could be right on that, and I've thought about it a lot, to tell you the truth. Is Handmaid's Tale more prominent in my psyche because of what's going on? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think this is a show that in a really dark time in our lives came in with kind of a beautiful, optimistic look at the world. And even though everything around Ted is crashing and awful and not going to work, right, he finds a way to find the good in everyone around him. And I know people like that, and I wish I were more like that, <laughs> right? So, like. Yeah. You know, and I'm really, I'm really glad you're not, Wilder, because I don't think I'd like you this much if you were. <laughs> well, sometimes, Hollister, I think you and I can find enough things to criticize, right? You know, <laughs> yes, we're, absolutely. we're no, not I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. And absolutely. I look at a person like Ted Lasso, and, you know, my fiancé is a lot like that. He's very glass half full, 
look at the things around us that are wonderful and, and take a breath, right? Be here, be present. It's so funny because my significant other who I live with is the same way. And I was alone for 30 years and we've just started living together in the last six months. And sometimes I say to myself, oh, it's so much better when I only had to argue with me, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I need that balance. I, right? no, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm just <laughs> pointing out all of it I agree with. And, and we don't have to sort of remunerate any more on it other than to say that his point is not whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. His point is that it's a moment in time where it works. And whereas maybe there's another moment in time when a show like this doesn't. That's that's his point. That to me feels far too broad a critique, right? Could because be, that, yeah. I think that's true of every show in the history and every movie in the history of entertainment. Well, you know, it's funny because there are a lot of shows, by the way, that people have rewatched for years and years and years. Now, for example, Friends. Friends is something that's rewatched quite often. But right now there's this movement of Friends doesn't really work because there's not one piece of diversity in the entire no, show. No, they get a lot of criticism for yeah. that. Yeah, okay. And I think if you brought West Wing back today, you'd have to do it very differently. I don't know. I think West Wing crosses I the- think we have a much better understanding of how Washington works now and what holes there are in our government. And I think if anything, over the past four years, we've learned how vulnerable that is. Mm -hmm. And so you have to approach that differently. I don't know that it works the same way today. Well, I think we've talked this point to the ground. I, you know, I mean, I definitely get it, but I'm just saying, I, I agree with Miles. I think that there's, there's a pocket, there's a window of opportunity and they snuck right into it. And I don't know that this will be out here for seven seasons. I don't think personally, I think that's kind of a cheap critique. I don't think that's taking a look at the show as a whole. Okay. I was going to tell Miles that we're mentioning him and now we can't. Well, you certainly can. And I'm happy to talk to Miles about it. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll get him on the phone. No worries. I think this show has a lot to offer. I think I think it's delightful for one thing. It I, is delightful. And I chuckled and I smiled and he makes me laugh. And I know a couple of people who are a little bit like that. And I texted one of them and said, so have you been watching Ted Lasso? And they're like, yeah, isn't he great? You know, so real. I thought, yeah, yeah, right. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know many people who are like that, you know, and I and I think it's really hard to be like that. And that's one of the things I think they're getting into in season two. I don't know if you finished the season I did not, one. no, I did not. Well, season two introduces a sports psychologist into their hierarchy and it's revealed that the only psychologist Ted has ever seen is the couple's counselor that he went to with his wife, who maybe wasn't totally unbiased against him. Huh. And this opens a whole new door for Ted on his journey. And I think that's fascinating because when you're looking at someone who is unerringly positive, right, what's underneath that and how easy is it for that to crumble? And I think we get a glimpse of that later in the first season after some things happen in his personal life, there's a scene where Ted starts to unravel. And I truly think he's going to win the Emmy. And I think it's for that scene. Hmm. And I didn't know Jason Sudeikis had this many levels. I love that this is what he's bringing into the world right now. Well, did you see him in Saturday Night Live? What was your yeah, thought? I liked him in Saturday Night Live, but it, you know, everybody kind of gets pigeonholed in Saturday Night Live of the roles that they play. And he was great. It wasn't my favorite era of Saturday Night Live, but he was very good. But I think this is a character who's able to express a lot of different wants and needs 
across the show. And it's a really cute community that we're in. Juno Temple is, she captures every scene she's in. And I didn't love her before this, but she's great in it. Yeah. Oh, I think everybody, everybody's really strong. But to get back to Sudeikis for just a moment. So in the first episode, there's a clip you see of Ted dancing in the locker room. Yeah. And those dance moves are the same as the character that he did on Saturday Night Live's What's Up With That sketches. (laughs) Did you recognize it? They actually- I didn't. I think it's interesting that they took a character that was so successful for him in Saturday Night Live and put it into the first episode. Oh, that makes more sense with the- Yes. With the caveman association. That right. I understand. Because exactly. then, you're, then you're talking about Pat. You're talking about uh, Night at the Roxbury. You're talking about those adaptations of like, are these things that have life in them beyond a sketch comedy? I understand the connection now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he's very, very good. And I don't think this is an easy role to play. So I'll give no. him, I'll give him that comedy. I mean, because... Again, comedy like this, it can be boring real fast. Yeah, but they keep it fresh. You know, because there's a there's a repetition to it, and they do. I think one mm-hmm. of the things that's so good about the series is I'm not bored with him, even though he really doesn't change much in the f- episodes that I view. Well, I think you should finish the season because yeah. I think you'd be surprised. He does change. Now, what about the showrunner, Bill Lawrence? What do you, you know, he did Scrubs and Cougar Town. Did you see either of those? I watched Scrubs for a while, which was super fun. And, you know, he has a really great way of male friendships, exploring far beyond what we assume the boundaries of male friendships are. Yeah. uh, And going really deep with them. And I really appreciate that because I think it really kind of tears down a lot of those toxic masculinity walls. And that's a lot of Ted Lasso also. You're seeing a lot of those same themes here between him and his fellow coach and him and his players. Cougar Town, I never really watched. I love Courtney Cox from Friends, and I have friends who love that show, but I I never really got into it. I didn't either. I think I didn't even like the title of it. But also, Richmond Green, which is the team, right? Did you know that it's owned by the royal family? So the queen was indirectly paid for the series to be filmed. That's really funny. I did not know that. Okay. Hello. Really? Like we need to give her more money? Come on. I mean. Uh, I don't, I, you know, whatever. As long as this show gets into my life, I'm really fine with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I recommend it highly. Do you? You recommend it? I love, you're missing, <laughs> you totally missed my point. I like the show a lot. I just feel that it's a moment in time that I needed the reprieve from life as I'm seeing it unfold around this country. And so I think that's why I could like it. I'm not sure I would have liked it at another point in time. I Well, from your lips to our listeners' ears, everybody uh-huh. go rush to watch Ted Lasso. Yeah, hurry before it's no longer relevant. <laughs> Such a cynic. I know. Oh my well, goodness. I know. I know. I know. And he's not. And he's not. So there you go. Um, what else? Do you have a lot more else? I don't have much else. Do no, I think um, I do think if you like if you like Ted Lasso, you should give Mythic Quest a try. Um, it's a little younger. It's um, the team behind Always Sunny in Philadelphia. 
And what's that on, Walder? Where can they see it? This is all Apple. Um, this is the first Apple show that we've done. And these are other Apple shows. So Mythic Quest is the team behind Always Sunny. It's about a group of video game creators. It's very current. There's a lot of conversation about who is allowed to say what in the workplace anymore, which is a lot of fun for me as a woman watching this. It's a blast. If you enjoy Ted Lasso, you'll probably like Mythic Quest. If you like musicals, give Schmigadoon a try. If you don't like musicals, don't watch it because you'll hate it. And we'll do physical next week, which is another Apple show. Now, one more time on Apple. We did review the morning show, but that was before you were part. That was before my time. Yeah. But it's funny because when you were saying earlier, and I wrote it down, I loved it so much when you said that Apple seeks to provide surprise and delight. Yeah. And many things the morning show is, it surprises you, but it certainly doesn't delight you. I think the work they're doing, I think Apple's doing really good work, but I somehow, when they first came out, was it two years ago now? Yeah. I expected this huge boom, and I expected them to come running on the heels of Netflix, and I haven't seen it, have you? They don't need to. They can take their time and be really careful, because they have all the money in the world. So they're not making hand over fist from subscriptions to Uh Apple Plus, right? So what I think is happening there is they're being very, very cautious with what they make, how they make it, and how they release it. And I'm grateful for it because I I wasn't sure what Apple was going to be when it came onto the scene. And I think it's really taken its time. Uh, And I think that's absolutely to its credit. I mean, how how many Emmys are they up for this year? And it's kind of They've kind of blown the competition away. They in did, yeah. Their first real opportunity, um, and I think that's really impressive. One of the things that is surprising to me is I don't think they've done a good job of marketing their new shows. They don't come across my desk the way they should. And I am a major watcher, so they know that because I have an Apple account and I think I have hundreds of movies in there that mm-hmm. I've purchased from them. They know how much I'm in the pocket, and. Oh, of course. I don't think they're doing much marketing. And again, to your point, maybe they don't need to yet, or maybe they're, I don't know what they're doing. But I think they're utilizing word of mouth. Uh-huh. I think Ted Lasso is their first big breakout. I mean, the morning show was a big deal, and there's another season coming of that. You know, COVID interrupted everything. Right. I think it's coming out this fall, and I'm very much looking forward to it. You know, I didn't watch the first season. I should mm-hmm. probably go back and revisit that. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm only a couple of episodes into For All Mankind, but it's it's a very interesting show. It's kind of revisionist history, a la Man in the High Castle, where America was beat to the moon by Russia. I'm not giving anything away. It's the first five minutes of the show. It's very interesting. Wait, is that on Apple? You're saying also on Apple. Okay, um, For All Mankind. Do we need to review that? I don't know that we need to review it. I think they're going into their third season now. I think there's two out and they've got another coming. But it's very interesting because the third episode is all about Werner von Braun, who led the NASA space race. But before that, was a Nazi. I was just going to say, I've heard that name elsewhere. (laughs) And was brought over in Operation Paperclip. And there's a lot of politics going on around NASA uh, at this time, because obviously we've been beat to the moon by Russia. So it's a, it's a very big deal. Uh, and Nixon's very upset. And the Congress kind of takes it upon themselves to get rid of von Braun by exposing him as a Nazi, which I think is fascinating because I wasn't sure how to feel in this episode. I was like, am I supposed to feel sorry for Werner von Braun? Because I, I don't. And he's Nazi. And like, sure, what he did for our our space and and technology race was great, but 
so I'm very curious to see where this show goes because that's the last episode I watched. But I think it takes place over a couple of different time periods where the first season is is in the 60s when the space race is, is really happening. But obviously history progresses differently because I think that space race keeps up and doesn't die out the way that it did an hour. I'm going to take a look at it. Thanks for recommending it. It's Absolutely. Interesting. It's an yeah. interesting show. All right. Now we're going to end this week with a question that someone wrote in. Oh, great. How many hours of TV and film do the two of you watch a week? Oh my God. Too many, obviously, but I'd like to hide behind the excuse that it's my job. So, (laughs) you know, I have to be up on film and TV. And, you know, if I'm not aware of the latest names and talent coming out of there, I'm truly not doing my job. So yes, it's too many hours. I agree. But you know, there are worse ways to spend your time. You didn't answer the question. <laughs> I did. Too many hours. The no, answer is too, too many. many hours. Okay. I, I really thought about it and... You had time to think about it. You just sprung this on me. Well, I, I did have time to yet. think about it. And if I'm going to be honest and out there and authentic, there are weeks when I can watch probably 40 hours of film and TV a week. That's a lot. I know. But there are also weeks where I watch one or two basically to get to our podcast. So I I don't have consistency in it, but what it reminded me of is I love doing it. And part of why I haven't done it as much as I used to is because there's so many things out there. I can't figure out what I want to watch anymore. It's really hard to figure that out. And I mean, it's, it's also interesting because you put on a different hat when you're reviewing something or when you're watching something for work versus Mm -hmm. watching something for pleasure. My family gets mad at me all the time because they think I know too much about the industry and I can't just like watch a movie for pleasure anymore, which is not true by the way. If a movie's great, I will fall into it. We watched Jurassic Park the other day and that movie is freaking perfect. Yeah. Love that movie. But there's also a difference, like if you're watching for Sundance, right? You're watching six movies a day. Yep. You know, so. Well, and if I, you know, I, I the Hampton Film Festival is one of my favorites, and I'll probably see over a period of three or four days, I don't know, six or seven movies a day. So yeah, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. Yeah. When I'm at Sundance, I average about 25 movies over the festival, and that's yeah. over five days. So yeah. like, this it it is a skill set to be able it to is. sit there it and take in all that is. content. Yep. We're not just lounging on the couch. No, we aren't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay, but thanks for the question. And how many, you know, some people write in and tell us how many hours do you guys watch a week? Thanks for listening in. Yeah, sorry we went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I hope you guys enjoy Ted Lasso. I know. And let us know what you think. Okay, over and out. Talk to you next week. Bye. 